Welcome to Paul's podcast. Here you can listen to our weekly sermons from Crossroads Baptist Church. This is a ministry devoted to studying the word, obeying the word and teaching the word. Here's this week's message. And we'll start by uh, thinking about the book of Proverbs, uh, which really teaches us about two types of sun in there. Uh, Proverbs 10.1, that says, the Proverbs of Solomon, says, a wise son maketh a glad father, uh, but a foolish son is the heaviness of his mother. Okay, so so two sons in there. Uh, Proverbs 23.15 says, my son, if thine heart be wise, my heart shall rejoice. Says one son. And then uh, Proverbs 17.25 says, a foolish son is a grief to his father and bitterness to her that bear him. And loads of other verses in there that really paint the picture of two different types of son. Uh, Which kind of son are you? Uh, Which kind of son are you? Uh, Today we get to think about that a little bit uh, and really focus on the kind of relationship we want to have uh, with our Heavenly Father. Uh, Because as Christians, like we've spoken about a lot over the uh, last few weeks, as Christians, when we make that uh, decision to accept Christ as our personal saviour, we become sons of God. We become uh, the children of God. Uh, In Galatians 4, 4 to 7 today, uh, Paul is going to show us how believers are no longer servants, but are sons of God. And we're going to see three big truths about this today. Uh, Three big truths about this new father-son relationship we have with God. Uh, Firstly, uh, he redeemed us. Secondly, he resides in us. And thirdly, he has a room prepared for us. And all of this will demonstrate uh, he has a great desire, a great unwavering desire uh, to have a relationship with us. Uh, That is him. He does have a great desire to have a close relationship with us. Uh, What kind of relationship do you want to have with him? Do you want the same thing for your relationship that he does? Well, I believe the uh, wisdom from just these few verses uh, we're going to see today can really help us enjoy a close and personal relationship, uh, the kind of relationship that he wants us uh, to have with him, Uh, the kind of uh, father-son relationship uh, that will make him glad and that will make uh, his heart rejoice. All right, let's let's jump in, shall we? Uh, Point number one, he redeemed us. Okay, so from that first verse, so Galatians 4.4, 4, we're going to see quite a bit in there. Uh, we were going to see that uh, when the time was right, uh, the perfect time, uh, God sent his only son to become flesh, uh, to serve and satisfy the law, uh, therefore ransoming us, placing us into his family, a new family for us. And there's a lot of stuff in there. Uh, so I want us to go through just step by step. So I want you to really see what happens uh, when God redeems us. Uh, firstly, uh, we see in there that it was the right time. Uh, the world uh, needed a saviour when Christ came. Uh, God sent his only son uh, to become flesh. Um, we all know this, don't we, from our Christmas story, that uh, Jesus was born. Um, now, at this time, uh, the nation of Israel, so God's chosen nation, uh, all they had done really was proved uh, that mankind couldn't be righteous in of themselves okay that that try as they might um the nation of israel just like we do 
uh, couldn't pull off a wholly perfect life. Okay, that, that's what they had told us. And the dispensations, it's kind of like another word for, for chapters of history, um, had proved that mankind had failed each time regardless of, of what was ruling mankind at the time. See, if you go all the way, all the way back to the garden when uh, conscience ruled and Adam and Eve had the choice, you know, don't eat that from the, that tree. Of course, they chose to eat that tree and they got kicked out of the garden. In the time of the governments, well, that dispensation ended with them building the Tower of Babel up to the, up to the heavens and he scattered the nations. At uh, the time of the patriarchs, in our Old Testament, they were supposed to stay in Canaan, and that ended up with 400 years of slavery in Egypt, another country. So you see, failures each time. Uh, the time of the law ended with the uh, Messiah being crucified on the cross. A pre pretty big failure in each time. So the time was right for a savior, and the nation of Israel had shown us that. There are a couple of other cultures in around when Paul's writing here. Uh, Greek culture, um, the Greeks had provided great culture and great art and great science. It was really flourishing under the time of the Greeks here. Spiritually, however, uh, the best the Greeks could do was offer this long list of Greek gods who kind of just lusted after each other and fought with each other. Uh, the Romans, another culture very significant at the time, they brought organization, didn't they, in the Roman roads. Uh, they brought kind of governments... Um, but their idea of entertainment was watching people get slaughtered and eaten by lions in the Colosseum, in the famous arenas. So you could see, whichever way you look at it, uh, the time was really right uh, for a, for a saviour to come. Uh, mankind was in trouble. We see in Mark 1.15, in Jesus' own words, it says in saying, uh, the time is fulfilled. Jesus said, the time is fulfilled, uh, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent ye and believe the gospel. Like The time was right uh, for Jesus to come and offer mankind a solution. So what happened? So God sent his son, and this son, first of all, we see, was made of a woman. What does that mean, um, and why was that important? Uh, this means he became flesh. So he actually became a, a human, born of a woman. Uh, we know he actually died as a person on the cross which meant he defeated uh, the curse of the fall. Right, let, let me explain exactly what that means from Hebrews 2.14. That says, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he, talking about Jesus, Jesus also himself likewise took part of the same. So God became flesh and blood as well, uh, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death. Uh, that is the devil. So by becoming a man and dying as a man and then rising again, well, Jesus defeated death and the devil. Uh, because if the devil's power is uh, death and Jesus could take that and die and then just rise again afterwards anyway, well, how could the devil ever defeat Jesus? Okay, that's what he was proving there. And this really uh, frees us from the curse of the fall uh, because from the point in the garden... We were going to die. Okay, one problem we have in life that we all have to deal with is that we are going to die. And, and Jesus coming here, made of a woman in flesh, deals with that for us. Because uh, through him, through his resurrection, well, we get eternal life and we don't have to, to die anymore. We're free from that curse uh, of the fall. Okay, so he was made of a woman, which is significant. He was also made under the law. 
So he didn't just send his son, he sent him made of a woman, made under the law. We see here Christ under the law. Christ was circumcised. Uh, he was presented in the temple later as the law required. He was baptized. Uh, he fulfilled all the ceremonial law. So anything Jews were supposed to do, uh, Jesus did. He also fulfilled the moral law in the fact that he never sinned. So he knew right from wrong. Like we do in our conscience, we know right from wrong. Just sometimes we choose to do wrong, and we sometimes really like it when we do wrong. Uh, Christ knew right, right from wrong, and he, he always chose right. So he fulfilled the moral law in that way. And so when his life was given as a sacrifice for us, what took place there was that the death penalty or the cru crucifixion was given to someone who was perfectly innocent and completely righteous. So the law was satisfied there, and therefore he released us from the curse of the law as well. So the, the, two, the two problems we have to deal with in life is that one, we're going to die, and two, uh, we enjoy doing wrong things sometimes. Okay, you have the, the curse of the fall and the curse of the law there at the same time. And him coming, he offers a solution for both of those things. Uh, Colossians 2.14 uh, tells us, talking about Christ, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. Uh, so Jesus was the only one able uh, to take that list of evidence against us. That's what ordinance is, like a list of evidence against us. He took all of that, any sins we've committed in the past, even sins of today, even the ones of the future that God already knows about uh, that we don't, even those ones, he took them and put them on the cross. And, and the payment for all that sin was made there. Uh, the law uh, had been paid for. Uh, and the price of that was Jesus dying on the cross in our place. Uh, Philippians 2, 6 to 8 uh, says, Who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, uh, but he made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So you here have a God himself, uh, a Jesus Christ equal with God there, uh, humbling himself, coming down as a man, uh, and paying this great cost on the cross. Now, all of that, really, we can summarize by saying, at the perfect time, God sent his son as a sacrifice to free us from the two problems we have, uh, the, the problem of death and the problem that we like to sin. Can him come in there to solve that for us, uh, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Uh, and the word son is interesting here. Interesting in that son, that Greek word for son is used interchangeably with children. Okay, so it's not a gender-specific word. I don't want anyone to leave today thinking uh, the Bible's sexist and this only applies to boys and not girls. Okay, that, that just means children, that word. Uh, it's also helpful to remember, though, that it was sons in the culture of the time. It was sons who were in line for the inheritance. Uh, that's really important. Uh, not so much the case now, I suppose. Like, sons and daughters probably both inherit equally, I guess, today. Um, but then, uh, very much, the position of son was uh, really important. Um, we will get into that inheritance a bit more on point three. But in doing all of this, it's uh, safe to say 
uh, Jesus made a way for us to enter into his family, no longer be enslaved under the law, no longer have that curse of the fall or the curse of the law uh, on us, and instead adopted us into his family as his kids. That making sense so far? Okay. Now, what is so wonderful about all of this is not just that he adopted us into his family, uh, but what he was willing to do to enable that to happen. I'm reminded a little bit of Abraham and Isaac. Uh, Isaac, he was a pretty special kid. Uh, He was the one promised to Abraham and Sarah. Um, God promised them that they would have a son. Uh, He was a true miracle uh, because at the time, Sarah couldn't have kids. Uh, he was long awaited. Abraham was like 100 years old uh, by the time Isaac showed up. So he was very special in that way. Very special uh, son. He was the promised son. They had to wait a long time for him. He was a true miracle. Uh, he was not Ishmael. That was the other important thing about Isaac. He wasn't Ishmael, who was the son Abraham had with another woman. Uh, so he was a really special uh, boy, really special son to Abraham. Uh, but what we read in Genesis 22:2 is that God said, "Well, now take your son uh, Isaac, who you love, and get him to the land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I tell you to." Uh, so God said to him, "You want to take that special son, uh, that promise, uh, you know, that son that you've been waiting for." Uh, that son I gave you, take that son and go and sacrifice him for me on the mountain. Uh, and what is more, Genesis 22:3, we see Abraham got up early in the morning to go and do it. It says he rose up early in the morning, he saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac, his son, he got the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went to the place that God had told him. Uh, and even more, uh, verse 10 of that chapter tells us he was going to do it. Abraham stretched forth his hand, and he took the knife, ready to slay his son. Now that is a a remarkable event, isn't it? It's a a remarkable thing to see when Abraham the father is willing to sacrifice this special son because he so highly esteems that relationship between God and man. Which is that, is that not a great picture of what our Heavenly Father did. Uh, you have the special and the loved son who, who is sacrificed. Now the difference with Isaac, Isaac was spared. You remember God provides an animal instead and Isaac isn't sacrificed. But with Jesus, uh, he was not spared. He did endure the pain of the cross. Uh, he was sacrificed. So what has all of this got to do with us? Well, what I really want you to see here is uh, not only are Christians redeemed, and I think you probably knew that already, uh, not only are we adopted into a new family when we get saved, and you might have even known that already, uh, but what this tells us to do is look at the lengths our new father went to in order to make that happen. He didn't just go, you're right, adopted into my family. It cost him it was the, the painful death of his only son, uh, whom he loved, uh, to make that happen. Which is why it always fries our brains uh, when people try to tell us God's unloving. You think, well, he did that uh, for us because he loves us that much uh, that he wanted to spare us. 
Okay, so we are redeemed. And that's just the first thing he did for us that we see today. Secondly, we see that he resides in us as well. When he redeemed and adopted us, uh, he sent the spirit of his son, that's the Holy Spirit, into our hearts, uh, which we receive really gladly. Uh, have a look back in your chapter, chapter 4, 6. It says, and because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the spirit of his son. You see the capital S on spirit there? Yep, so that's, that's one way we can know he's talking about the Holy Spirit. Cause it's the capital S, spirit of his son, into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Yeah, what that means is that at the point where we are saved, the Holy Spirit is deposited into our hearts. Uh, we see this in 1 Corinthians 6.19, where Paul says to them, he says, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, uh, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? And that verse really helps us see that receiving the Holy Spirit is, is something that happens at the point of salvation. Uh, the Holy Spirit doesn't come and go depending on how well we behave. It doesn't come and go depending on how Christian we are or, you know, how many times we go to church or avoid swearing or anything like that. It happens uh, when we get saved. Uh, the Corinthian church was a mess. Uh, to, to put it politely, the Corinthian church was an absolute mess. It was not a godly church. Uh, but we see from this first, the Holy Spirit was still residing in them. They still had the Holy Spirit in their hearts because they had been saved, uh, because they had been redeemed. They were believers. Uh, Paul writes to them again later. He says in 2 Corinthians 1.22, he says, Who have sealed us and given us the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. Okay, so this Holy Spirit uh, seals us. And that word seal, that means to be like stamped uh, with a private mark. Do you remember like kings of the past, they would have a ring and they'd seal it in wax, yeah, to show that's how they would sign things. They would stamp it in wax to say, uh, this, this is the king's word or, or this belongs to the king. That's what the, the idea is behind there, uh, that when we receive the Holy Spirit, it acts as that private mark where we've been sealed to say, okay, uh, this person belongs to me now, and it acts as an earnest, uh, which translates as a deposit, to indicate that we are gods and he is going to come back and collect us. Okay, like we might lay down a deposit on a car. Okay, there's, there's the deposit. I'm going to come back in a week's time and take that car away with me. That is my car now and I've signed for it and put the deposit down. Uh, that's what the Holy Spirit does for us. Exact same point really made in, uh, in 2 Timothy when Paul's teaching Timothy about this. Uh, chapter 1 verse 14. He says to him, That good thing which was committed unto thee Keep by the Holy Ghost, uh, which dwelleth in us, okay, which lives in us. So I don't mean to labour that point too much, uh, but the Holy Spirit, often people get mixed up on that, and not every church teaches it that well. And the Holy Spirit can sound a bit weird, and you know we can get confused on that easily. But it's safe to say it resides in us from the point of salvation. Uh, it doesn't uh, leave us, it lives in us, it dwells in us. So the Spirit is given to us, takes up residence in us at that moment, and at that point, uh, we cry, Abba, Father. Uh, Abba being akin to our English word for Daddy. Uh, so we say, uh, Daddy, uh, Father, uh, Father being Jesus' favorite word for God. Now, Abba, Father, 
is not what a servant can call his master. Okay, a servant wouldn't call his master uh, daddy. Okay, that would be weird and inappropriate. You, you, if you're a servant, you call him boss, right? Or sir. Uh, but we can call uh, God uh, father or daddy. This is what a thankful son would call a loving father. It's a term of affection and love, and it captures really how we felt at that point of salvation. Isaiah 43, uh, 44, sorry, uh, verse 3 gives us an idea of what it's like, what it feels like to get saved. Uh, For I will pour water on him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon thy seed and my blessing upon thine offspring. Uh, So it's like we uh, were thirsty and God provided us uh, with water. We were spiritually dry and he flooded us. Uh, The Holy Spirit resides in us from that point and provides us with great relief and great joy in that moment, which is why you see when somebody does get saved and put trust, their trust in Christ, well, they're smiling from ear to ear at that point, aren't they? And we, we had a good example in Roger not too long ago uh, of what, what a great moment of joy that is for everybody. Um, so the Holy Spirit does that at the point we're saved, uh, but also provides for us beyond there as well. Uh, Holy Spirit, we see, uh, comforts us and teaches us. We see John 14, 26. Uh, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things. So we get the Holy Spirit, we're saved, we're sealed, it's the deposit. But also the Holy Spirit is active in us in that it teaches us all things and brings all things to remembrance uh, whatsoever I have said unto you. Again, 1 Corinthians uh, 2, 12 to 13 tells us similar about receiving the Spirit of God in verse 13. It says, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, uh, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. So all of that to say that we, uh, uh, we are saved. Uh, when that happens, we gratefully receive the Holy Spirit, who is sent uh, to live in us, to reside in us, uh, providing us with great comfort and teaching as we go. All right, now, in part, you could imagine that uh, it's like that wonderful gift, a bit like um, carrying a, a radio, getting a radio that is permanently set to God's frequency, and that allows you to listen to his voice uh, whenever you want to. Okay, you can have that radio with you, and you can hear his voice uh, throughout the rest of your life, because the Holy Spirit doesn't leave you. I've done a, a little bit of work with police officers um, on and off, and... Um, they carry their radio with them all the time, like e- even into our meetings. Uh, sometimes the volume on that radio is up. Uh, sometimes the volume on the radio is down a little bit. They have this wonderful ability to be having a meeting with me, but listening to the radio at the same time as well. Um, I've even had meetings where something has been said on that radio and the police officer has had to end the meeting and walk out and go and deal with it. Um, so that radio there is always with them, and they're always able to listen to what the radio is saying to them. Now, for us, the application is this, is that the Holy Spirit, after salvation, is always with us, and we should always be listening to what he has to say to us. Uh, God has given us that means of communication until we get to heaven and we get to meet God face to face. 
right? No, nothing can change that. We can't lose the Holy Spirit. What we can influence, though, is how well or how badly we listen to his voice. Uh, we can let other voices drown his out. And we do that. Maybe we listen to our flesh too much. Um, or we listen to otherworldly influences instead. Uh, we don't spend enough time listening to him. We don't spend any time in the word. Uh, and the radio's there. It's just on very, very quietly. Uh, I want you to take a moment to think about what an amazing gift that is. Uh, not only did he redeem us, not only did he clear out all the mess that was between us and him, uh, he also has given us his spirit uh, to provide, from us from, provide for us from that point we were saved uh, to the point uh, we get to heaven. He's given us the spirit to provide for us to do there uh, from now uh, till we get to see him face to face. That's pretty amazing to think those two things together, the way he redeemed us and now lives in us and resides in us uh, till we get to, to heaven. Now there is one other thing uh, the Holy Spirit does that we haven't covered yet and this is that he identifies us as children of God and this really leads us onto our third point that he has a room for us. Now as sons uh, we have a birthright. Okay? Uh, we are due a share in what belongs to our father. That was one of the things we said when we were studying Abraham. One of the great things of being, about being one of Abraham's children is that Abraham was loaded. So people want to be Abraham's kids because they get a, a share of his huge inheritance. Uh, we as sons have a birthright. It says it there back in your chapter uh, 4, 7. It says, wherefore thou art no more a servant. So you're not a servant anymore, Galatians, Paul is saying. He's saying, but you are a son. And if you are a son, then an heir of God through Christ. He's saying we are heirs. Uh, we have covered this a lot over the last few weeks. Uh, for example, Galatians 3.29, uh, where Paul says, if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed. And that means you are heirs according to what Abraham has been promised. So Paul is telling the believers here that because they are saved, uh, they are in Abraham's household, and therefore they get to inherit uh, similar to Abraham. Uh, when the Holy Spirit comes into us, uh, it is the Holy Spirit that bears witness to our new position as adopted sons. All right, we see this in Romans 8, 15 to 16. Here it says, For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption. Okay, so not slavery and bondage, but adopted into this new family, whereby we cry, Abba, Father, the spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Now, there's a fair bit of stuff in there, but it means uh, to bear witness. Uh, that means to testify to or corroborate or provide evidence for. Uh, so we can conclude from that that the Holy Spirit is what confirms us as children of God. And therefore, if we have the Holy Spirit and we're confirmed as children of God, well, well then we're due the inheritance of our Father. And that word heir, as we know, refers to someone who is due an allotted portion of an inheritance. And this allotted portion that we have as Christians according to the word of God, is an exceeding great reward. 
Uh, so it's a, a huge and amazing inheritance we get. We see that in Genesis 15.1. Is the hope for our soul. It tells us that in Lamentations 3.24. It was promised to Israel, Jeremiah 31.33, and it is extended to include Gentile believers. So that's us, people that aren't Jews, Second uh, Corinthians 6.18. Okay, so we have this amazing inheritance we now are entitled to. So what exactly is that inheritance? Like, what, what is it? Why is it such a big deal to be sons and be in line for this great inheritance? Well, I just want to show you for a sec uh, what Jesus said to his followers as he prepared to leave them. Okay, it's in John 13. You might want to turn there. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of John, chapter 13. And we will see uh, how Jesus described this. Now, you have to remember, his disciples at the time, they'd been following Jesus for about three years at this point. And they were just kind of a bunch of, regular, bunch of regular people, left their jobs. They believed in him, they were following him, and they, they left their jobs and, and their lives behind and followed him for three years. They believed he was who he said he was. And now he's telling them, okay, now I have to go away. And you can imagine them being like, so what? You know, we've been following you for three years. We're trusting in you. Like, where are you going? And he's like, no, now I have to go away. And he tells them that uh, they can't come with him either. And after all they'd gone through, all they'd given up for him, all the persecution, which was getting worse, uh, they couldn't understand why he had to leave and why they couldn't go with him. And in John um, 14, he says, uh, chapter 1, sorry, John 14, verse 1, he says to them, Look, let not your heart be troubled. He says, you believe in God, uh, believe in me also. He says, in my father's house there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And what a comfort that must have been to the disciples there. Um, what a comfort for us to know as well that there is already a room prepared for us in heaven. Uh, that's what he's talking about there in his father's house and many mansions. In his father's household, uh, there are many mansions, there are many rooms, and he has prepared a place for us. We already have an allotted space uh, with God awaiting us. Uh, where we get to live in our father's household forever. Now we get a little glimpse of what this is like. We see a little glimpse of the millennial kingdom in Revelation. Just a little glimpse. I think we get a little glimpse of it uh, when we uh, read about the Garden of Eden in Genesis. But I doubt any of us uh, can comprehend how it will feel to finally get there and dwell evermore in God's household, in, in that time where sin and death and sickness and tears are all gone, and we just get to be uh, close, physically close to him uh, forever. I want to start wrapping up and thinking about, okay, well, what does this mean for, for my life? Because okay, like we say every week, it's all well and good to read the verses and see the cross-references, but actually, uh, what do I do about this tomorrow? How is this going to affect me when I get up and eat my cornflakes in the mornings? Well, what I want you to remember, we are not servants. Okay? As Christians, we are no longer servants. We are sons. Uh, but more than that, 
Uh, we are sons with whom the father desires a close relationship. Not only, did it ma- not only did he make it possible for us to have a close relationship with him, uh, look at the lengths he went to in order to make it possible. Recap, he sent his only son to die on the cross so that we could be free, uh, and the sin that was keeping us from him could be wiped out. He sent the spirit of his son to reside in our hearts so we could always hear from him any time we wanted to. We could be close to him, we could be comforted by him, and we could be led in our daily decisions by him. He has already prepared a place for us so that that relationship gets to continue even when this world doesn't continue. He didn't just stop at adopting us, did he? Uh, He adopted us and has made it very clear the kind of close relationship he desires to have with us. The question is, do we want the same? Do we want the same relationship with him that he wants to have with us? He has done everything possible to enable us to have a close relationship with him. Uh, Do we do anything possible Uh, to enable that to happen too. He has gone to great lengths to enable us to have a close relationship with him. Uh, What lengths are you willing to go to to enable that as well? Now, sadly, for many Christians, uh, the answer is not a lot. Uh, Bibles are often put away as we leave church on a Sunday. Uh, God's word, not really listened to. A Holy Spirit not really listened to. And instead of focusing on the place he has prepared for us up there, uh, we often are busy working on the place we have prepared for ourselves down here. Now, we don't want to be those kind of kids. Uh, we don't want to be the kind of children that are distant from our Heavenly Father. We want to be the kind of Christians that are close to him. Uh, we want to know him. We want to know how he thinks. We, know, we want to know what he says. We want to know what he would like us to do. We want to enjoy this wonderful relationship that he's given us access to. Do you agree? It's not just me that feels that way, yeah? You agree? Yeah. Is that what you want to? Or is that how can we practically enable that to happen? All right, let me finish up with just three things you can practically do to get that kind of father-son relationship that he wants you to have. Uh, Firstly, find time. Now, very often our reason for not doing stuff is, I just don't have the time. It's kind of our reason. That's our our get-out clause for everything, isn't it? And very often our reason for not praying, not reading our Bible, is that I just couldn't find time this week. Uh, That is akin to a husband saying, I don't have time to speak to or listen to my wife. Right. It doesn't wash, does it? And it doesn't make for a very good relationship. Uh, not only must we find time, we need quantity time and we need quality time with him. Because okay? good relationships need both, don't they? Uh, good relationships need quantity time. That means there should be many times during our week where we speak with him. Uh, not just on a Sunday or on a Tuesday night if you make it to Bible study, but every day we want, we want to speak to our father. Uh, to use the example of marriage again, a husband might speak to his wife when they first wake up, uh, maybe over breakfast, 
maybe as he's leaving for the day, uh, maybe during the day, you know, he calls or texts his wife, uh, maybe a, a phone call on the way home, maybe chatting, walking through the door, maybe they speak over dinner. You, you get the picture, right? They, they talk a lot and, and it benefits the relationship. Now, like our other relationships, well, one with our Heavenly Father, that's going to be improved uh, the more time we spend with him. Yeah, pretty simple. Uh, we also need quality time. Uh, this is like date night in a marriage. Uh, this is the extended period of special time uh, to be with God. And we see Jesus practice this very often. He would like disappear and pray on his own and leave the disciples uh, for a long amount of time. I'm not suggesting you go and disappear to a retreat in the mountains. Uh, you don't have to go up in the mountains, you know, and sleep on the floor and, you know, drink drink water out of a bowl or anything like that. Uh, but you should have some special uh, extended uh, private quiet time with your Heavenly Father. Uh, just us, our Bible, maybe a pad and pen so you don't miss what he says to you. Um, with no interruptions. Some quality time with our Heavenly Father. So we have to find time if we want to have that kind of relationship. We, all, we also have to fight sin. Uh, sin is the way we damage our relationship with our Heavenly Father. Uh, this is when we know that there is something he doesn't want us to do, and we just go ahead and do it anyway. Uh, again, like a, like a normal earthly relationship between a father and a son. If a son behaves in that way, still be the father's son, won't change the fact that he's his son, uh, but it's going to damage the relationship. Now, our sin is paid for in our eternal position, but in our daily condition, sin is still something uh, we need to fight against. Uh, when we sin, uh, the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit is grieved, uh, the Holy Spirit is quenched. That's a bit like turning the volume down on that radio that we're hoping to listen to. And it gets harder and harder for us to hear what God is saying. Uh, that is not going to help our relationship with him. So we need to do what we can to avoid sin. But of course, when we stumble, as we always do, because we're not perfect, when we do stumble, uh, we need to deal with it in a biblical way. Uh, and that is to confess it to God and ask forgiveness. Uh, forgiveness, which he is faithful and just to provide. He doesn't expect us to be perfect, uh, but God does expect us to be fighting. So I have to ask, uh, what lengths are we willing to go to to fight sin? Uh, would we be willing to deny ourselves? Uh, would we be willing to pray for help? Would we be willing to seek support from another believer to help us with our sin? All right, so we have to find time, we have to fight sin. Finally, we have to follow through as well. Uh, my wife, Emma, uh, she does like it when I avoid doing stupid things. Okay, she does like it. It doesn't happen too often, but if I avoid doing anything too stupid, she's pretty happy with that. She also does like it when I talk to her and spend time with her. But what she likes just as much as any of that, uh, she likes it when I do something I told her I was going to do. It's amazing, isn't it? It's not rocket science, right? Uh, we have a pull switch in our bathroom. You know those light switches that you pull, yeah? We have one of those. It broke. I told her I would replace it. Eventually, I replaced it, and she was very pleased. She was like, oh, great job. I'd have no idea how to do that. That's a great job. And, of course, I play it down. I'm, oh, you know, yeah, I just, yeah, I just 
that's fine, no problem. While in my head I'm thinking, this is the greatest accomplishment mankind has ever achieved. I'm thinking, you know, there was no light and now there's light and that's all down to me. Um, but what is vital for a relationship is that we follow through, that we do the things that we said we were going to do. Uh, when I agree on something with Emma, uh, she expects me uh, to put it into action. Now, our relationship with God works in exactly the same way. Uh, we know he is faithful to do what he has promised, or we need to be faithful uh, to do what he asks. So if we learn something and we know it's right, we should go ahead and do that. Uh, and that will help us have that close relationship with him. So this means he teaches us, uh, and what we learn, uh, we respond appropriately. What lengths are we willing to go to uh, to put the Bible into practice in our life? Uh, Psalm 16:11 says, Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Uh, the joy and the pleasure we experience in being in his presence uh, and being uh, close to him, that kind of joy it is not only available in heaven. We don't have to wait till we're standing next to him uh, to have that. We can have that right now. He wants us to have that kind of relationship. He's gone to great lengths to enable that kind of relationship to happen. What kind of lengths are you willing to go to uh, to, to get that relationship with him? Is that the kind of relationship you want to have? All right, let's pray, shall we? We hope you found that an encouragement today. Join us next week for another message or you can check out our website, crossroadslondon.org.